I'm Shar Hugh, and I'm CEO of the Helper Vs. Um, as we've innovated in the industry, we've had the pleasure of meeting quite a few individuals who have not only shaped the history of long-term care insurance, but are pivotal in the growth of the future of not only the industry, but how America, how Americans, more appropriately, are going to age at home. Um, we're with one of those individuals today, and we have the honor of having Tim Neeland visit our headquarters here in Austin, Texas. Um, Tim actually got to start selling long-term care insurance products back in the 80s and 90s, um, and after a long, great career there, became president of long-term care insurance at Transamerica. Um, most recently, he was CEO of GE North America Life and Health, uh, and having retired from that position this past July, we were lucky enough to have him here in our offices and hosting him here for a few strategy sessions. Um, so at first, I want to say thank you, for Tim, for, for joining us on this inaugural podcast. You're welcome. Looking forward to a great conversation. So as I mentioned in the introduction, we've had the pleasure of meeting amazing people with amazing things in the industry, and I count you just on the top of that uh, pile of individuals. And so just want to open with one basic question, which is how did you get your start in long-term care insurance? Uh, yeah, first I'll have to say I don't know that I've ever had um, the uh, the honor of being called amazing before, but I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the nod. Uh, you know, I've been doing it a long time. My start was really kind of twofold. Uh, the first one was I was a general agent for uh, one of the Agon companies, and in uh, in Northeast Iowa, and in the late '80s, when we started becoming aware of these products that were designed to help pay for people who were um, who needed care, chronic care, long-term care, uh, we really started doing some investigating as to how do the policies work, and more importantly, what did that care look like? How did, how, how did people get after that care? And it was very different at that time. They were, nursing homes were typically cold, sterile wings of hospitals or right next to a hospital. And, and so we started looking at that and understanding the financial implications to our clients and decided that, yeah, we needed to start looking at this. We started looking at many of the policies with lots of different great companies and, and chose a few of them to partner with to come out and, and go and do this. So my, my initial experience was really taking them to the customer and understanding the customer needs and what drove their perspective on why this was important to them. And then I kind of had a second introduction when I was asked by a good friend at uh, CEO of the risk business at, uh, at Transamerica at the time to uh, take over and, and try to really understand what to do with leading both the um, problematic enforce block of that company, just as all companies are right now, and also uh, really lead us back into new sales at the time and try to find a way to take this product out to more, more customers. So I've had the, the um, luck and the fortune to be able to really understand from both sides of the uh, of the transaction, exactly what those policies did, and what the whole aging and pray old aging um, now in place, but aging process looked like for uh, many of our customers. So, you have a unique history st starting in sales. How was that transition when you went to Transamerica, where you saw now the claims process, but also trying to to, to create new products? What, was there a big formative moment there that? That was sort of an aha moment or um, just something that stands out in your mind after that transition to Transamerica? There was. I would say there's two of them. They, they happened after a while and 
there was a bit of a delay between the two. So the first one was when I was at Transamerica, everybody knows that a lot of what's been going on to try to fix this problem has been rate increases, just asking the customers to pay a more appropriate premium for the um, asset that they've got and what they've built to be able to protect their future and their families. And when we did that, we spent time going to all the different states. And four of the people as president of Transamerica Long-Term Care that I raised rates on was my mom, my dad, my mother-in-law, and my father-in-law, which made for some really interesting discussions. But probably one of the most meaningful discussions I had was with my father-in-law, John. And I was sitting with him and his wife, Sally, and we were talking about the options and, and what you could do um, about looking at the future of this policy and this coverage. And I talked to him about you can pay more, you can reduce your benefits, you could drop it if you wanted to and just get a smaller policy. And he looked at me and he said, oh, Timmy, he said, I, you, you got to understand, I'm never going to drop those policies because they're what stands between me taking care of myself and my family and you and my daughter having to do it. And it just smacked me right in the forehead with understanding for the first time, why, do, why does everybody keep this pol these policies and why do they pay more premiums? And it's because it's not about them. We all have that inner um, urge to take care of ourselves and to live, but what really it's about is our kids and our family and not ever wanting to be a burden on them. So that was the first one, which just, just warmed me. I still get chills thinking about the conversation. And then the second one was, really eye-opening. Um, in, in one of my discussions with many uh, people in the industry, I was having a conversation about setting the vision for uh, the companies in one of the businesses that I worked with. And we were having a conversation about what really did we exist for and what was, what was the importance of what we were doing specifically in long-term care, but across all of the different policies that we we had uh, in place over over all those years, and for me, having come from the field, it was always boiling down to we've got to do the things necessary to assure that we'll pay every claim and fulfill every promise that we ever made to any of these customers who have trusted us with their well-being and their family. And I had a an executive make the comment that but that's not who we are and that's not really what our focus is paying claims is really compliance it's just part of what we have to do it's not really what drives our performance and what we're focused on and we had probably an hour and a half discussion on that and what really came what it really helped me understand was much of the long-term care industry because we become so removed from actually selling and marketing the product, has lost sight of what it actually is that we're here for. And in the end, yes, it's been tough on the companies, and yes, we're all trying to figure out how to minimize the damage, make it better. But in the end, reputationally and just doing the right thing, we've got to, in today's generation, figure out lots of ways well beyond rate increases to try to fulfill the promises that as an industry we've industry excuse me we've made over the last 40 years to all of these people many of whom are in their 70s and 80s and some even in their 90s now and i think those two things have really shaped 
my passion for trying to help be a part of the solution is to figure out what are we going to do to stabilize this business. And, and we're all, there's so many good people, smart people that are intent on this process from company leaders to, uh, um, to regulators, to salespeople, to folks like you guys at the helper bees trying to help us innovate, get out of our own way as big, large insurance companies and try to do things unique that tie us back to the customer and, and not just put them over here and the companies over here on the opposite ends of a transaction. I love that. I think that's why we've always gotten along quite well. Where you, I've always known you, you think about big picture issues, big company issues that span not only large corporations and seeding companies and across geographies, but you always take it from a heartfelt approach of understanding for the individual. Um, you had a, I wonder if this is one of the reasons that you had the founding role in the wellness consortium that, that has been created over the last couple of years. And um, you mentioned it, how bringing uh, disparate groups, not only carriers coming together to solve this problem for the individual through sort of delivering this transformative services. Um, I, I know you had that formation uh, or a, a heavy hand in the formation of the consortium. Are you are you bullish about the outcomes of, of many different carriers coming together, many different stakeholders coming together to solve this amazingly large problem? So I'll answer your question. Am, am I bullish? Yes. Will it be painful? Absolutely. Bringing a whole bunch of really large companies together to figure out the right way to do this and the right way to talk about it. First of all, I, I know why we named it the Wellness Consortium, but it's really not about wellness. It's really about how do we better interact. Um, it's really ultimately about customer service and how do we get better at bringing companies together. We have a really unique opportunity right now because for companies, we can't just keep solving this by getting more premiums. We have to think about is there a way to better align our interest with the um, with the customers, much like the health insurance industry has with things like HSAs and different creative opportunities, so that we are on the same side of the transaction rather on the uh, rather than on the other. And we've all seen for the last several years this this. Um, process where people don't want to be in skilled care unless they have to be. Um, even assisted living, as nice as they are, had kind of flattened out. But where the real growth was aging at home. And you get, you know, you get baby boomers like me who are saying, I'm never going to a facility because the kids would have to drive me, drag me kicking and screaming uh, to go into one of those places. And there's a lot of my friends and, and, and um, peers that are the same way. And, and now it's been exacerbated by COVID, where, you know, my dad is 82. My in-laws are, are, are getting to be those ages. And a lot of my people that we know and we care about are that age. And you look at what happened um, to the lockdowns in these facilities. And we're just saying, there's no way we're going to put those people into that facility. But if you've ever tried to figure out how do you age at home and how do you do it healthy and safe? It's really hard. Tons of white papers yeah. written about it, but very little actionable checklist type of activity. And really nobody until recently has developed the concierge type of approach that you and some other of your peers have created to try to help kids understand and then work with their parents to help them live and age with the dignity that they want to age with. And I think 
the cool thing about that is it can put us back on the same side um, of the deal and the transaction as those customers who 30, 40 years ago were on the same side as us when they signed up to say, we'll pay you X amount of premium for the rest of our lives, but you got to be there to take care of us. And that's why I'm bullish. The companies are going to have to do a better job of thinking differently than we have historically, especially when you bring a bunch of them together. But there's some really good people, some really smart people, and some good companies who are investing in this to try to figure out how do we do just exactly what I talked about. So yeah, I think we'll get there. It's never fast enough for me. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. It sounds like what you're saying is, is you've seen that evolution from as you started selling the products, which is building a personal connection, which is building insurance safety net to now the delivery and helping to deliver on that promise. Do you, is there anything that you've seen from your, your long history in the industry that we can learn from as we embark on what I think is a really interesting phase where we're starting to talk about wellness or, or, or whatever programs you want to talk about where we're thinking about concierge-based services to drive aging in place? I'm wondering, are there any lessons that you've learned that we can apply now to, to inform the direction that we're traveling for the future, for, for innovation, for aging in place in the industry and sort of more broadly within the U.S.? Yeah, I would say no, nobody's big enough to do this on their own. This is, this is way bigger than long-term care insurance, although we have a lot of incentive to help lead this. But you think about the industries, half of these bills are paid by families. Another big chunk of them are paid by Medicaid, which is the states. And then you have a portion that's, that's paid for by long-term care insurance. A lot of groups that have never worked together on a project. Yeah. And I think what we've got to figure out how to do outside of just the insurance industry um, institutionally is to figure out how do we bring back, bring together, um, like the Global Coalition on Aging, they're trying to help think about these things, and there are other groups, how do we come together, AARP tries to help with this, to really make pragmatic suggestions and processes and ideas and put them in place to be able to get our people to know how to do um, do these things that are so difficult to get their hands on today. And I think one other group that is interested and I think is, is still trying to figure out how to do that is, is the regulators. There's some key regulators that are really thinking about how can we work with our companies to make sure that we make these decisions together so that we're on not, so that we're not having unintended consequences that penalize people for really trying to do the right thing and help. So we're going to need the regulators' help as well. That's interesting. I mean, do you, given all the complexities of having multiple stakeholders, from regulators to policyholders themselves to many different carriers who are, or some are embarking on the process on their own and some are, are grouping together via the consortium, you said that you're bullish in general, but what do you think has to happen for all of these parties to come together to solve this pretty massive societal problem? Leadership. Do you think we have it? No, not yet. I think we've got a small group that is really trying hard to bring, bring together the right people, but institutionally, the regulators, the insurance companies, and a lot of the different people really have a hard time with doing something that is so different than what um, we've had. And, and, and in all fairness, 
everybody's a little worried about doing something that is going to have unintended consequences like making a, a challenge for the insurance industry even worse by opening up some doors to some additional liabilities. And so that's why I think it's going to take a lot of stakeholders. But no, we don't have enough leadership. And especially, um, in my opinion, at the, at the insurance company level, where we've got um, CEOs really grabbing this. We have some really good people in the industry, but I, I don't think there's a broad enough uh, group really going in and supporting and saying, what risks are we willing to take to really make a difference in the society and in our industry as we go forward? Because it ultimately is going to be a, a risk um, decision on investing some money to try to do the right thing that I do ultimately think will be helpful to us and our customers for decades to come if, if we do it right. So you, you've always been very helpful to me in giving me advice professionally as we've been able to steer the helper bees through the industry. What advice would you have for an early stage company who wants to connect with policyholders or older adults in their families to change how they age at home as well as an, an executive uh, within a carrier who, who wants to do the same and has that same mission, um, what words of advice and wisdom would you give to them? Great question. Uh, two things, focus and transparency. First, focus. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? We're not going to fix this overnight. No one entity is going to fix this. So focus on what you're really good at. Get the right people around you to be able to ask hard questions, to constantly get better and fix it, whether, whether you're Char Hewen running the helper bees or whether you're a new CEO or a new business leader in long-term care, trying to figure out how you're going to do that. And then, you know, you know the second thing is, is transparency. You've got to be very open and honest about what you know and what you don't know and what you learn. And that's not something forget the insurance industry that corporate America is, is necessarily very good at, is figuring out how do you do that in the right setting so that we can together come to the right solution. Because this is, this is much bigger than uh, the long-term care insurance industry. This is, this is and it's, it's really even bigger than the United States, this is a global issue. How are we going to let the people that have run our world, we can discuss whether they did it well or not, but how, how do we take those people into the uh, rest of their life, what's supposed to be the golden ages, and really let them do it on their terms and, uh, and, and, and enjoy that, that ride? I, mean, I think that's great words of wisdom and advice. I, mean, I think um, six years ago when we got our start in long-term care insurance, I was really surprised by um, the collaborative nature of a lot of the individuals that we were working with. Yes, we were a vendor, but we really approached it being a great partner to a lot of our, our companies and, and carry that ethos today. And I think the industry is very collaborative. Um, and I think because of the many aren't selling policies, so they're no longer competitive. And so it makes for a really great dynamic. And I echo your sentiment. We found through that partnership by being transparent with what we didn't have and what we hope to have really led to some very long-standing and meaningful relationships. So I definitely would echo your advice. I, I think that's fair. And I the progress we've made in the last 10, 12 years on this issue has been phenomenal with all those different groups, the companies, the, the, the insurance companies, the groups like yours, the regulators. But, but I think every one of us realize we have so much work to do and we're going to be so much better if we can figure out how to do it together. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, Tim. I think thanks 
on behalf of the entire industry for all you've done, but also all, all you've shepherded us into, which I think is this new age of, of really thinking about the customer service, as you mentioned, how we're going to improve aging in America. And I know you're, you've got a lot of really interesting ideas that are, are going to come to fruition. So thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for the invite.